I got a new pair of shoes the other day, and you like my shoes? And, and I, I, was, I, was, I was trying them on, and, and uh, the attendant that was helping me, I told him, I said, uh, it, it seems a little bit tight. And he said, well, try it with your, t- your tongue out. And I said, it seems a little bit tight. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make, I had to start out a little bit light this morning because we were going to be talking about a very sober subject this morning. So I thought we would go ahead and start out with a little laugh uh, now. So uh, let's, uh, let's pray real quick and then we'll go to the word. Father, thank you so much for this time together. I really just appreciate so much, Lord, how you take care of your people and you're so good to us and you love us so much. And Lord, you, uh, you love us way more then we've loved you. You've been so much more faithful to us than we've been to you, but yet you are always faithful. Every day, Lord, your mercy renews itself, and we just want to acknowledge that, Lord. So as we open your word now, Lord, that you have painstakingly provided for us, we honor your word, and as we open it up and begin to read from it now and begin to discuss the concepts therein, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts and minds that comprehend and understand what the Spirit is saying to the church. We pray that you would rebuke that devourer for our sake so that as this word goes forth, that it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent and uh, would, would bear much fruit for your kingdom and in the lives of those who hear and apply. And on that note, Lord, I pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers thereof. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. All right, so open up your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is the same master text that we read from last week because we are continuing with our series called The Invisible Battle, Ways the Demonic Seeks to Entrap You and Rob You of Your Destiny and What You Can Do About It. So when you find Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll stand up with me, We will honor the reading of the word, and we'll read together. And again, this is a familiar passage. Let's hit the ground running here on verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Who are we to be strong in? The Lord. The Lord. Not ourselves, but the Lord. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And by the way, the heavenly realms just simply means the atmosphere around the earth. That's, that's, what, that's what that means. There are no demons in heaven, okay? So, the, yeah, Amen. <laughs> Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it didn't say if the day of evil comes, but when, you are going to be confronted with demonic forces from time to time. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will. All right. This is a sober topic this morning, but I'm very excited about it because, you know, any opportunity that I have to give the devil a black eye and expose what he does in the earth, I always am excited about a teaching like that. So as I mentioned last week, Satan and his demons are not just mythological characters. The Bible makes mention of Satan and demons dozens of times. And these demons are described as being on mission to deceive people and inspire people and tempt people to do evil things. Now, one thing that's occurred to me over the years in talking to a variety of people is that some people reject God and don't have, want to have anything to do with God because of some of the terrible things that have happened to them in their lives. In other words, they kind of blame God for allowing those things to happen. And they don't realize that those terrible things are works of Satan, not God. They're works of Satan, not God. So they turn away from the very one who wants to rescue them and instead unknowingly serve the one who inspired those people to do those terrible things that they experienced. It's like this. Imagine some bad kids in a public high school surround a student and, and begin beating him up. And they, they beat him pretty badly until a, a teacher comes up and breaks up the melee. And then imagine that kid that got roughed up gets angry at the school and the administration and the teachers for allowing this to happen to him. And so then, in response, he goes and joins a gang. Well, it's like, okay, wait. Um, it's the teacher who broke up the mob that attacked you so that the beating wasn't any worse than it ended up being. But now you're mad at the teachers and so you join the very kind of people who beat you up? That doesn't even make sense. But people do that to God all the time. And that kind of deception, too, is a work of demonic powers. See, demons can also, by the way, bring sickness and disease. They, they can harass the people of God, or at least attempt to, and they attempt to hinder the work of God in the earth. Now, I wanted to read something to you, and I, I should, actually I forgot to bring it up here. Donna, could you uh, go in that side room there and bring my black briefcase out? There's a piece of paper that I want to pull out of there, and uh, I want to read something to you. Forgive me for not having that ready to go, but it was outside of my usual routine. So, thank you, my dear. It's great to have a helpmate, huh? Donna is a great helpmate. All right, so I want to read something to you. I found this out of all places, uh, the CNN website. Uh, they've got a little like online, I don't know, magazine, I guess you could say. I'm not a fan of CNN, so they're not a place that I frequent a lot. But I found this about demons and exorcism on CNN's website of all places. And so, yeah, that is pretty inter interesting. Uh, 
but I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but I just want to read an excerpt uh, about this because, first of all, it was jaw-dropping that CNN would actually print this. But this is also very appropriate for our topic this morning and a way to kind of kick off where I'm going with this teaching this morning. So I'm kind of um, going to be reading this kind of midway here, so I'm not going to read the intro, but it, it's talking about this particular woman that these priests were trying to help who was demon-possessed. So I'll, I'll start out there. As the priests began to pray, the woman slipped into a trance and then snapped to life. She spoke in multiple voices. One was deep, guttural, and masculine. Another was high-pitched. A third spouted only Latin. When someone secretly sprinkled ordinary water on her, she didn't react. But when holy water was used, she screamed in pain. Leave her alone, you blankety-blank priests, the guttural voice shouted. Stop, you blankety-blanks. You'll be sorry. You've probably seen this before, a soul corrupted by Satan, a priest waving a crucifix at a snarling woman. Movies and books have mimicked exorcisms so often they become cliches. But this was an actual exorcism and included a character not normally seen in the traditional drive-out-the-devil script. Dr. Richard Gallagher is an Ivy League-educated, board-certified psychiatrist who teaches at Columbia University and New York Medical College. He was part of the, the team that tried to help the woman. Fighting Satan's minions was not part of Gallagher's career plan while he was studying medicine at Yale. He knew about biblical accounts of demonic possession, but thought they were ancient culture's attempt to grapple with mental disorders like epilepsy. He proudly calls himself a, quote, man of science. Yet today, Gallagher has become something else, the go-to guy for a sprawling network of exorcists in the United States. He says, demonic possession is real. He's seen the evidence. Victims suddenly speaking perfect Latin when they didn't know Latin before. Sacred objects flying off the shelves. People displaying hidden knowledge or secrets about people they could not possibly have known. Gallagher said, there was one woman who was like 90 pounds soaking wet. She threw a Lutheran deacon who was about 200 pounds across the room. He says, that is not psychiatry. That's beyond psychiatry. Now, I wanted to, to read you that because I wanted to make the distinction here that people can be harassed and influenced by demons without ever experiencing that kind of demonic possession. There's a difference between demonic possession, which is what that just described, and demonic oppression or influence. And that's kind of what we're going to be dealing with here this morning. But I want you to understand demonic possession, where demons literally inhabit the body of a person and make them do things that they would not normally do, is a real thing. And as weird and scary and unsettling as that might appear to be, I also want you to know that we have been given authority over Satan and his minions. Praise God. But let's move on here. Um, you're looking at the screen of a, the cover of a C.S. Lewis book that was written in 1942 called The Screwtape Letters. 
C.S. Lewis was a giant of an intellect, uh, especially of the Christian world, but even beyond the Christian world, and wrote a number of books. But the Screwtape Letters is the fictional correspondence between two demons. One was a higher-ranking demon named Screwtape, and he was writing letters to his underling, Wormwood was his name. And they, they were corresponding, these two demons were corresponding about a, a human that Wormwood had been assigned to that they were trying to tempt away from God. And I want to read you a couple of excerpts of that book. The first one is this, a moderated religion. This is Screwtape writing to Wormwood. And he writes, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. In other words, Satan wants us to have a toned down form of religion, void of passion and power. Because a religion that is moderate instead of passionate is about as beneficial to the kingdom of darkness as being an all-out atheist. Why is that? Well, because a moderated religion is lulled to sleep by its comfort. It will not fight against the kingdom of darkness, and it will not labor to advance God's kingdom. It scarcely even realizes that that there's a demonic realm at all, let alone fight against it. In fact, a moderated religion is very often damaging to the cause of Christ because it presents a poor representation of the nature of Christ. Indeed, a, a moderated religion will often fight other religious people more than it does the kingdom of darkness. And that's playing right into the devil's plans. A moderated religion is content to do its duty by showing up to church once in a while and comfort itself by giving a little money in the plate, but then pretty much being self-focused every other moment of the day. Let me give you another quote from the Screwtape Letters. Again, this is screw tape writing to Wormwood. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. See, a moderated religion uh, is one that has no concept of the words of my friend and mentor, Dr. Jerry King, when he wrote in his book, It's Not About You. It's about the kingdom. He writes these words. The entire Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is a story of violent conflict between two unalterably opposed kingdoms. The ruler over one of these kingdoms is the Lord Jesus Christ and the other is ruled over by his enemy, the devil. Every detail of a Christian's life fits within the parameters and the functions of those two kingdoms. Every detail. There is no exception. If we're not building the kingdom of our Lord by the details of our lives, then we are diminishing it and building the strength of the other kingdom. He goes on. While it is nearly incomprehensible for most modern Western Christians to believe that their lives could have greater significance than getting their own needs met and their own ambitions realized while singing about the great by and by, the scriptures are clear that you and I have been enlisted as soldiers in an army, the Lord's army. Now, 
I want to revisit some observations that we made from the master text that I just read last week. I want to revisit those again. Some of those observations are these. From verse 10, the devil schemes against the people of God. The devil schemes against you. Verse 12, we therefore struggle against these spiritual forces of evil. And likewise in verse 17, it mentions the helmet of salvation, which is part of our armament. Now the helmet of salvation is knowledge of the word of God, which should also give us some knowledge about how Satan, our enemy, operates. See, God has given us every tool necessary to stand against Satan and win. That's what that reading was all about, where it lists our armament. In order to win in that war, however, we have to recognize the movements and tactics of the enemy. Am I right? I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again today, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says that, that in order that Satan should not outwit us. Did you know that it is possible for Satan to outwit you? If you're not careful, if you don't know the word, if you're not diligent, Satan can outwit you. It goes on to say, for we are not unaware of his schemes. What's one way that we can be aware of his schemes? Well, the word of God. As a matter of fact, that list of weaponry that we read in our master text in in Ephesians chapter 6, most of that weaponry revolves around the word of God. Most of it revolves around the word of God. So how do we keep from being deceived then? Well, again, like we talked about last week, be a person of the word and remain teachable. It's a very important aspect right there. Remain teachable. So we started last week talking about different kinds of spirits uh, mentioned in the Bible, different kinds of demonic spirits mentioned in the Bible. And there's a bunch of them. So I went through, I think it was five last week. I'll go through three or four this morning. And I think ultimately there's going to be 16 or 17 of them or so. Uh, But the first one I want to mention this morning is something the Bible calls seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. In 1 Timothy 4.1 it says, and I'm quoting out of the King James here, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to, here it is, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What's it referring to there? It's referring to the seducing spirits as those that are deceivers and imposters. Seducing spirits seduce people to do and believe things that are contrary to the truth. So I'm going to list some for you right here. Some manifestations of seducing spirits that we find in the scriptures. So there are seducers and enticers, those who entice people that don't know the word very well, to believe things that are contrary to the truth. We've kind of already established that. You say that listed there in several of those passages listed on the screen there. Also, kind of in the same vein, hypocritical liars. People that twist the word, that, that, that seduce and entice people to believe things that are not true, so they're hypocritical liars. And those with a seared conscience. The Bible uses that terminology, a seared conscience, that, that their consciences are seared as with a hot iron, the Bible tells us, so that they, they've gotten to the point where they, they can't even believe the, the truths that are right before them sometimes. 
because their consciences are seared. Their, hard, their hearts are hardened. So they stiff arm God because of that seared conscience. Also, attractions and fascinations by or to false prophets and teachings, therefore wandering from the truth. You can see that in Mark 13.22 and 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, among other places. Other manifestations, false signs and wonders. Did you know that, that Satan is a supernatural being, so he can produce some false signs and wonders? Did you know that? So we have to be careful for that. Everything has to line up with the Word of God. Um, also, deceived by the passions and pleasures of this world, according to Titus 3.3. That's one manifestation of a seducing spirit that it causes people to be deceived by the passions and pleasures of this world. And then lastly, fascinations with evil ways, objects, or persons. Fascination with evil ways, objects, or persons. That's how seducing spirits work, and that's some of the manifestations of how these seducing spirits work. Now, some examples of seducing spirits, seducing and enticing people to believe things that are not true in our culture today. I'm going to list just a few. There's just a handful. I could have listed a lot more than this. These are the things that came to my mind. The first one is gender is fluid. Gender is fluid. So in other words, you can kind of, you can choose your own gender if you want. And sometimes on Monday, I can be a guy. On Tuesday, I can be a girl. And on Wednesday, I can switch between the two, right? I mean, seriously, you're finding people that are claiming this stuff. Um, I'm holding myself back and going deeply into that subject right now, but folks, you got one set of chromosomes, okay? If you have any doubt about what your gender is, forgive me for being this graphic, but stand naked in front of the mirror and, and that'll tell you what gender you are, okay? All right? Praise God. You can't, you can't, I mean, biology is biology. You can't decide one day you're going to be a girl, one day you're going to be a boy. Look, How have we come to this place of ignorance? That's what sin does for you. Okay? Uh, um, <laughs> I don't tend to listen to people spout off about science when they say that you can be a boy one day, a girl the next. You know, you've just invalidated yourself uh, as a, a scientific source. And when it comes to the scriptures, God says in that I have reference for you there, Mark 10, 6, that says that in the beginning, God made them male and female. Male and female. There's only two genders. There's not three, four, five, 16, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's two, okay? It's two. And that science and scripture both line up on that. So that's... Like I said, I'm holding myself back going into that deeply, but that's just one example. Here's a few, few others for you. Um, there are many ways to God. Okay, well, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he said. Now, that may seem very exclusive, and it is, but the invitation is open to everyone. But God didn't make multiple ways. Otherwise... Jesus' sacrifice on the cross would have been meaningless. Okay, and we, we've talked about that at length as well. I don't have time to get into that deeply this morning as well. Here's another one. Uh, there is no God. That atheistic mindset. 
Well, once again, Psalm 14.1, to refer to the scriptures, says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I mean, you can just look at science, folks, and look at the intricacies and the order of nature and know that there's a God. I mean, atheism is a faith because there's no evidence that there's no God. There's lots of evidence that there is a God. Okay? The fool has said in his heart there is no God. The, the basis of atheism is I don't want to believe that there's a God because I don't want to have to answer to him. I don't want him interfering in my life and, and making me do things that you know, I don't necessarily want to do. That's the basis of atheism. But it's a faith. Okay, so again, I don't have time to get off on all that. Um, here's another one. And this is a very common one right here, very common. Just believe in God, but your lifestyle's not that important. Just be a good person. Well, once again, that concept goes against Scripture. Because Romans 3.10 says that, that there is no one righteous, not one. There's no one righteous in and of themselves without Jesus. And Romans 3.23 and 24 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 12.4 also speaks to this. It says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So does your behavior matter? Absolutely. Your behavior doesn't save you, but it is a response to the grace given to you. And your, your behavior absolutely matters to God. So these are all manifestations of seducing spirits that seduce people to believe things that are not true. And by the way, these seducing spirits work in tandem with another spirit we're going to talk about this morning, and that's perverse spirits. Perverse spirits. You can see that referenced in Isaiah 19, 14. And all that means is a, as a, a perverse spirit is something that distorts, twists, or warps things that are good and true. It's a warping and twisting, a distorting of everything that's good and true. We can see that concept referenced in Isaiah 520 there on the screen. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're living in that time right now. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So that's what a perverse spirit does. It calls evil good and good evil. As a matter of fact, I want to say something. I was having a conversation, a short conversation with someone this morning before service started who was concerned about someone who attended here shortly and haven't seen for a long time. And that person was concerned, was it something that I did or said? Listen to me. When you're in Christ, and especially if you're in any kind of leadership, quite often your good is going to be called evil. I want to say that again, your good, your good intentions, your good efforts toward these people are going to be called evil from time to time. Get used to it, especially if you're in leadership. I don't know how many times it's happened to me. I mean, even up till very recently, I mean, you pour your lives into people and then they turn and then they talk about you in the community and call your good evil. Get used to it. Okay. But woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Here's some manifestations of that. Doctrinal error. I think that's pretty obvious of 
a manifestation of distorting, twisting, warping what is good and true, twisting the word, which is, of course, related to doctrinal error, and then also another one, profane language. Now, I find it interesting that, that when I read that short excerpt from that article in CNN about exorcism, that when these priests were trying to help this woman who was demon-possessed, the guttural voices that came out of her uttered all kinds of profanities. wonder why demons like profanity so much. We should think about that. Because when you use your mouth to utter profanities, you're giving your mouth over to satanic influence. Don't use your mouth for satanic influence, please. Satan loves profanity. That's why Hollywood, all its movies are just filled with profanity. Because they want to ram that down your throat and make it seem normal. But that's the language of demons. Profanity is the language of demons. Remember that. How about this one? Sexual perversions. And I'm going to list some of these. And forgive me for the, the graphic nature of these explanations. But, you know, we just have to be honest about what sexual perversions are according to the word of God. So adultery, having relations with someone not your spouse or with someone else's spouse. Incest, homosexuality, rape, fornication. That's an old English word for sex outside of marriage Um, or premarital sex would be another way to say that. Pornography. And these can all be referenced in those various scriptures that you see there. All, all of these are works of Satan. Second uh, Peter 2.14 talks about people of, of depraved mind. So a filthy mind is also a manifestation of the perverse spirit. And then also another one that's very appropriate here for modern culture, cross-dressing. Do you know the Bible addresses that? The Bible says that if a man puts on the garments of a woman, it's an abomination to him. And vice versa. It's an abomination because God made them male and female. There are gender roles and the way, there's, there's appropriate ways for women to dress and for men to dress. Praise God. You know, Satan's strategy is really quite simple, ladies and gentlemen. Make perversion seem normal. And make righteousness seem strange and outdated. That's his strategy. So don't be deceived. Every one of us in this room right now are being transformed, even at this very moment, either into the image of Christ or the image of this twisted world. So on that note, I want to do a little illustration. I need a, I need a volunteer for this. Lily, since you're on the front row, can you help me? So uh, let me see. How am I going to do this, Lily? Um, so um, I'm going to be I'm going to be the demonic forces that are coming against your life, and we're going to do this three different ways. You're, you're, the first example I'm going to use with you is you're somebody who's not in Christ at all yet. You're you're a non-believer. So what we're going to do? Come over here with me because we're going to walk together. Okay. And so remember, I'm I'm the demonic force, and and she's the non-believer. So I'm going to come along behind her and influence her and push her in a certain direction. And she just very easily going the same direction as me because she's not saved, right? So she just does whatever I tell her. I lead her around by the, nose, by the, by the ear, by the nose, 
right? She does everything I tell her to do, okay? But then when she gets saved, she's tur- she turns around and goes the other way. Okay, now we're going in opposite directions, but if she doesn't build herself up in the word of God, and if she doesn't keep herself spiritually strong, and she doesn't know what the word of God says about certain social issues and, and the things that we've been talking about so far this morning, well, she may be heading in my direction slightly, so just take a little step toward me. But then when I start to resist her, she's not very strong. So she's still going in the direction I want her to go in. She's offering a, just a very little resistance, but not enough, because I can keep her going in, in the same direction that I want her to go. But when, once she starts building herself up in her, her most holy faith, through the Word of God, through what you're doing this morning, by being in, in, in the Word and hearing preaching, you're, get, you're getting built up spiritually. Now she starts to push against me. And now it's a little bit of battle going on. And now she's pushing me out of the way and she's going in the right direction. And now she starts to outpace me. Amen. Thank you, Lily. Appreciate you. So it's very important you understand that concept. So listen, folks, people that are not in Christ, and this is true of all of us prior to coming to Christ, Satan led us around by the nose. We had a hook in our jaw, in our nose. He led us around any way we wanted to. Any time he yanked on that, that hook in the nose, that hook in the jaw, we went the direction that he wanted us to go every time. Because you had no choice, because you were a slave of sin, the Bible tells us. You were a slave of sin. Satan was your daddy. But then when you came to Christ, you got a new daddy. But unless you keep yourself filled with spiritual things that are going to build you up spiritually, you're still going to go in the direction of Satan to a certain degree with offering very little resistance, and he's still going to blow up things in your life. See, that's Satan's goal is to blow things up in your life. He hates you. He hates you. That's why I get so... I'm, one time I was in a, a Qdoba eating, and there was this young man that came in, and he had this, this satanic jacket on. And I mean, just this, all these satanic symbols all over it. And, and I didn't say anything to him because he was at the fountain getting his drink and my mouth was full. And then he exited pretty quickly after that. But I would have loved to have said to him, um, first of all, why would you serve someone that hates you and wants to kill you and wants to make your life hellish and then take you to hell for eternity after that? Why? And plus, why would you serve a loser? Satan's a loser. Why would you turn your life over to serving a loser who hates you and wants to deceive you and wants to slap you around all your life then take you to hell when you die? Why would you want to serve somebody like that? It's just like doesn't compute for me. But people don't, they don't, they think Satan's a hero or something. I don't know. He's a, he's a loser. He lost to Jesus once and for all. He's still running for his life. And he's still trying to, trying, to, trying to take as many people as he can to hell with him because he knows his, his day's coming. Amen. Satan is a loser. All right, here's the next um, spirit that we're going to deal with this morning. The spirit of whoredom. Now, forgive me again, I know that some of this is a, maybe a little bit sensitive in nature this morning, but the spirit of whoredom, the root word of that is whore. The spirit of whoredom. And you can see that referenced in Hosea 4.12, which uh, says at the bottom there, my people ask counsel at their stocks. Stocks is an old English King James uh, word for wooden idols. It's their idols they, that they worshipped. So my people ask counsel at their idols, is another way to understand that. 
and their staff, that's the, uh, the wooden rods they used in their pagan ceremonies to try to tell the future. That's what those were. So my people ask counsel at their stocks or idols, and their staff declareth unto them. For the spirit of whoredoms hath caused them to err, and they have gone a whoring from under their God. So what is the spirit of whoredom and what does it do? Well, the first expression of it is lewdness, fornication, a practice or lifestyle of immoral sexual activity, and it it is applied to either sex and to any kind of illicit activity. But there's another side to the spirit of whoredom, and that's idolatry. And idolatry is the desertion of the worship of the true God for the worship of idols. So it's talking about idolatry. You can find this term referenced again in Judges 2.17 where it says, whoring after other gods. Idolatry, God considers that like a husband and a wife being married and the wife goes whoring after other men. That's how God sees idolatry. And we're going to talk about several other expressions of this as we push on here. So some manifestations, first of all, in the sexual are, uh, and Proverbs 27.20, is chronic dissatisfaction. Have you ever known couples that, that one of them or both of them are just never, ever satisfied in their marriage or with other aspects of life? Chronic dissatisfaction. Proverbs 27.20 says that the eyes of man are never satisfied. So, you know, we can get that new job that we've always longed for and make that amount of money that we've always longed for. When we get there, it's like, okay, they're happy with that for a while, but now they're, they're lusting after another level. Or you can get that beautiful woman that you've always dreamed of and, 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 and get her as your wife, but then so many times you've seen that that often doesn't work out and the man lusts after somebody else after that and cheats on his beautiful wife. Why? Because the eyes of man, talking about mankind, are never satisfied apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, you're going to have a gnawing emptiness, gnawing and eating at you all the time. Never satisfied. Uh, fornication, again, that's another manifestation of the spirit of whoredom. Uh, fornication is, is sex before marriage. Um, unfaithfulness and adultery within marriage. Uh, all of Proverbs 5, you should read Proverbs 5, talks about that. And then also prostitution. So those are manifestations in the, the physical and sexual realm of the spirit of whoredom. But then on the spiritual end of things, uh, idolatry, spiritual unfaithfulness and adultery, and spiritual prostitution, all that kind of falls under the same category of idolatry. Whoring after other gods, whoring after things that God says... These are evil, but we do them anyway. That's, a, that's the spirit of whoredom. All this is just another way of saying worldliness. Okay? So James 4.4 4 speaks to this. Pay attention very closely to this, ladies and gentlemen. It says, you adulteresses. Now, by the way, I'm going to stop right there. Why does it put it in the feminine? Because it's speaking to all of us. Because we are the bride of Christ. So it puts it in the feminine. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? 
Man, you do not want to be hostile toward God. You will lose. You will lose. Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world renders himself an enemy of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Would it be okay, you married couples, would it be okay for your spouse to have an extramarital fling once a year? Really? I mean, 364 days, your spouse is faithful to you. I mean, one day a year, would that, would that be okay? No. How about once every five years? No. Okay, so the spirit of whoredom then is when the bride of Christ or believers choose to leave their first love, which is God, to indulge in the lusts of the flesh, even if for a temporary indulgence or a temporary rendezvous, if you will. Now, the entire book of Hosea in the Old Testament expresses this sad truth and the anguish that it causes the heart of God. Did you know that God's heart can be pained? And spiritual idolatry pains God's heart. See, once we're saved, we become the bride of Christ. Yet Satan is constantly tempting the bride to indulge in acts of spiritual whoredom. From tempting you with food while fasting to entertainment when God calls you to pray to seeking attention and approval from people rather than from God to immoral sinful acts that please the flesh while causing you to turn away from obeying the will and voice of Christ. Anything that causes you to make a self-centered flesh-pleasing decision that opposes the will and word of your spiritual husband, Christ, is the spirit of whoredom. By the way, in essence, all this can be broken down into self-rule. Instead of allowing God to rule you, you rule yourself. With no regard for the heart of God, whom we hurt Every time we choose a lust of the flesh over him. Just like whoredom in the physical sense hurts the heart of an earthly spouse, in the spiritual sense, it shows that we love only ourselves. And thus we care about pleasing ourselves more than we love and care to please God. And that's a very hurtful place for God to be, as I said, as expressed in the book of Hosea, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Isaiah. A lot of those prophetic books in the Old Testament speak to how that spiritual whoredom makes God feel. Again, that's a very hurtful place for God to be. And, and though God is merciful and patient in his cries for us to repent, if we refuse to do so, he will not stay in that hurtful place indefinitely. I want to read to you on that point, Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5. Pay very close attention to this. I know your deeds. He's writing to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. This is to a church he's writing to. Christians. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and, and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. See, spiritual whoredom is so hurtful a situation to God that he would rather forget that he ever knew you than to continue having you bear his name while pleasing the will of another. Folks, we serve a merciful God, but we also serve a just God. In the end, if we forget our other lovers, so to speak, our idolatries and our our selfish desires and put our full faith in him, then he will choose to forgive us and wipe the slate clean and welcome us with open arms. Yet, if we will not turn away from loving this world and the things of this world, then he will choose to forget that he ever knew us, even if we call ourselves by his name. Like an adulterous wife might still carry the name of her husband and his ring on her finger, yet because of the abundance of her adulteries and her refusal to submit to the will of her husband, she has lost his heart. And that's the picture that the prophetic books like Hosea and Ezekiel, etc., paint of our relationship to God and the way that our spiritual whoredom affects God's heart. I'm going to read to you a few more scriptures and give you a little bit of brief instruction, and then we're going to close. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So what's the solution to these spirits that we've talked about this morning? Again, we're going to end up talking about probably 16 or 17 of these. I'm going to give you a solution to deal with each one of these after each teaching. But the solution, I've got three points here where the solution is concerned where the spirit of whoredom, the the perverse spirit, the seducing spirit is concerned. And that's number one, understand whose you are now. In other words, who you belong to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with Your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. The second solution in dealing with these spirits that we've talked about this morning is to repent, simply to repent, which means not just being sorry for your sins, but turning around and going the other direction. So repent of spiritual whoredom and a perverse spirit. Ezekiel 14.6 And let me say this word very quickly about the book of Ezekiel. If you've ever read read through the whole book of Ezekiel, parts of it read almost pornographically. God goes into so much detail. I mean, like almost like adult level reading detail about what 
Israel's spiritual whoredom was to him. It's a very serious thing to God. So we need to repent of spiritual whoredom and a perverse spirit. Ezekiel 14.6 says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. And Acts 3, verses 19 and 20 says, Repent then and turn back so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I feel like I need to say this before we go to the third and final point on our solution. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking and he says, Many will say to me on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, but I will say to them, depart from me because I never knew you. What does that mean? It means there's some people that are sitting in church pews today who will sink into eternity, into a godless eternity, in a place set aside for Satan and his demons and those who serve Satan and his demons called hell. What a horrific thing to believe all those years that you were in good graces with God only to slip into eternity where you can't turn back and now you're in hell. God doesn't want anybody to go there, but there's certain people that just think that they can do these religious duties and then just pretty much live as self-focused as everybody else the rest of their days and they'll be okay because they punched a time card. They did their duty. But Jesus will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. We live in a religious world today, ladies and gentlemen, where this is going on rampantly in our churches, where our churches are filled with false converts. Because they've never been taught that there even is a hell to avoid, first of all. That there is a Satan to resist, and that there is a God to obey impeccably. Because we teach grace, and listen, I'm all for teaching grace. I'm a grace teacher myself. But the kind of grace that we teach these days is a trampling of God's grace. Just do whatever you want to do, live however, however you want to live, then go to confession on Saturday, and you, know, you can do it all over again the next week. Just come back to confession is one manifestation of that. Or another one is this once saved, always saved doctrine where you say a sinner's prayer, get baptized, and you live like hell the rest of your life, and supposedly you're still in, in Christ. That's, that's a false doctrine. That's a manifestation of the perverse spirit, by the way. Doctrinal errors. Doctrinal errors. So let's push on with this. We're almost done. The third solution to these spirits that we talked about this morning is to break the agreement that you had with these spirits through the spirit of whoredom and separate yourself unto God. You know, the Bible tells us to come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Let's read this from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. What partnership can righteousness have with wickedness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? which is another ancient name for Satan. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? For we are temples of the living God. 
He goes on, I will dwell with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's the attitude that we need to have. Not how far can I get to the edge of the cliff and not fall off. How can, close can I get to the edge of sin without actually plummeting headlong into it? That's how a lot of people live. How close can I get to the edge and still be in God's good graces? Why don't you run the other direction from the edge of the cliff? Right? Goodness sake. So this is how we, we need to be living. Come out from among them and be separate says the Lord, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The reason that more people don't experience God being their father and experiencing more of God's presence in their lives is because they compromise so often and sometimes so severely that they have no idea what it's really like to experience God as their father. They, they see God as some benevolent and sometimes even not so benevolent God up there in the sky who's disconnected from them and who's, who's unconcerned about the affairs of your life. See, if they would just come out from among them and be separate, they would know God as their father. I'm going to close with this quote right here from Charles Spurgeon. I love this. He said, if Christ has died for me, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. In other words, why are we still playing and toying with the junk of the world when Jesus died to save us from all that junk? And we supposedly come to him in repentance and we're still trifling with that stuff? Why do you want to slime yourself all over again? Would you all stand with me for a moment? Donna, can you come and play something? I'd just like to ask you to bow your heads for a moment and we're going to pray together. And from time to time I do this and I ask you to just contemplate and think about what the Lord might be saying to you specifically through this teaching this morning because God may have been putting some things, you know, his finger on some things that represent the spirit of whoredom in your life or a perverse spirit at work in your life. And you need to break the agreement with that spirit of whoredom because again, God is merciful and just, but he, he won't put up with that forever. a couple brief conversations with a couple of you this morning about how God gives us little polite nudges along the way when we've either stagnated or we're going off track somehow. He'll step in. He will step in and give you a gentle little nudge at first. And if we don't respond to that gentle nudge, the nudge gets a little bit more severe as time goes on because God's a good daddy he loves you and he will be a disciplinarian if he has to be 
And if we continue to refuse his nudges and his discipline, there is a time, and I don't know where that line is, none of us do, that there is a time when we can find ourselves in a place where we're completely backslidden, so far off course that we're very far from God and not even in his family anymore eventually. And, and again, I don't know where that line is, but folks, I want to say this, don't mess with the line. Why would you even want to mess with that line? Run from it. So just with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, just in a, in a time of reverence, I just want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, where have I been off course? Have I allowed the, the, a seducing spirit to creep into my life or a perverse spirit? Have I, I let the spirit of whoredom slip in to where I'm going off and I'm, I'm whoring after other things once in a while? Maybe it's not even a constant thing. Maybe it's something that you just do once in a while where you leave your first love even for only a temporary rendezvous. Folks, adultery is unacceptable at any time. And God is very merciful. When we, when we turn to him in heartfelt repentance, he, he will forgive us. But you sure do limit yourself in how much God can use you and how, much, how close you can get to him when we're constantly going off and whoring after other things, whoring after the things of the world. And it does really prove that our heart's really not right toward God when those things happen from time to time. We need to come to the place where those, hap those things happen never. Not that we don't ever slip up from time to time. I mean, it's people lose their tempers once in a while. People have times where they're, they're upset or they're depressed. Or The Bible tells us that we all fail in many ways, but what we're talking about this morning is that, that tendency to just go, just veer completely off course, even if it's only for a short time. That's what we're talking about this morning. That's, that's a very, very dangerous place to be in. And so I'm, just, I'm gonna stop talking now and just uh, let you stand in silence for a moment and just ask the Lord where the spirit of whoredom may be showing up in your life. And uh, I'm just going to give you the opportunity to get it right between you and the Lord just privately right now. So go ahead. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.